this week on Hope for the Broken. The moment that we give our lives to Jesus, we are engaged in a great conflict, a battle, not between flesh and blood, but between the principalities of this dark world. And in this battle, we're warring against three enemies. We're warring against Satan and his armies. We're waging war against the culture or against the world system. But then the third enemy is within the inner self. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part five titled, Why Do I Still Struggle With Sin? We are in the middle of a teaching series that we're working our way through entitled Real Questions, Biblical Answers. And what we're doing over the course of this series is we're taking questions that you guys, our church family, submitted over the course of the summer, and we're spending a great deal of time trying to answer some of those questions. Today, we are tackling the question, why do I still struggle with sin? Perhaps you can identify with the fact that there are things in your life that seem to trip you up. Things that you wished by now that you were past. Uh, Sins that you still struggle with. And no one is perfect. Certainly that is the case for me in this room. And so why do I struggle? And does the Bible speak anything about this struggle? The answer to that question is it certainly does. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7 here this morning. We're going to be in verses 14 through 25. And answering this question actually dovetails perfectly with our topic from last week. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we answered the question, can anything change my salvation? Can I do anything to lose my salvation? And in our study of Romans chapter 8, we discovered that there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God if indeed you are in Christ. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God and that serves as a seal of our salvation, a a guarantee of our inheritance. The believer in Jesus, we discovered, has set their minds on the things of the Spirit, whereas an unbeliever has set their minds on the things of the flesh. And so the real question that we talked about is not can anything change your salvation, but are you in Christ to begin with? And one of the greatest ways that you can assess the answer to that question is, you know, where is my mind set? Is my mind set on the things of the spirit or is it on the things of the flesh? It serves as a great evaluation question for us. In other words, are you accepting of your sin or are you opposed to your sin? For the believer, the believer is opposed to sin even and being honest about the sin in their own life. And this is where the question of study comes in. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should not be satisfied that you struggle with sin. You should desire to live a life of holiness. That's what God has called us to, to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. But if we're honest, that's a difficult task, right? 
because we still lug around this old bag of flesh that rears its ugly head in our lives time and time again. And for us to say in modern day vernacular, the struggle is real, right? If we're going to be honest, we struggle with sin. And so why is that the case? Where is this victorious life that many preachers have proclaimed that we can have? On Sunday, September the 3rd, of 1939, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain took to the airways, uh, radio airways in Britain, and in a five-minute broadcast, he announced that Hitler had failed to respond to Britain's demand that he uh, retreat, that he leave Poland. And that refusal led to Chamberlain to announce, quote, this country is at war with Germany. That announcement would, be, would prove to be the beginnings of World War II. And within minutes of the announcement, air raid sirens began going off in the city of London. So to answer the question, why do I struggle with sin? It is the announcement that you are at war. The moment that we give our lives to Jesus, we are engaged in a great conflict, a a battle, not between flesh and blood, but between the principalities of this dark world. It is a spiritual battle. And in this battle, we're warring against three enemies. We're warring against Satan and his armies. We're waging war against the culture or against the world system. But then the third enemy is within, the inner self. And Romans chapter 7 gives us an insight into this struggle, this this spiritual struggle. Battle And this morning, I want to examine this passage in in three different ways. Uh, I want us to talk about the condition. I want us to look at the conflict. And then I want us to arrive at the conclusion. That will serve as our outline here this morning. And so I want to read the entirety of Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. And as we read this, and you follow along in your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to, to put yourself in Paul's position to see if you can identify with what it is that Paul is expressing in these verses. Let's begin verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Can anybody relate to this? 
I, I know that I can. And so let's examine this in the three sections here this morning. First, the condition. What I mean by condition is the position, the circumstance, the situation in which we find ourselves. The same circumstance, the same situation in which Paul found himself. And in verse 14, Paul explains the condition. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. It means that it's holy, it's good, it's right, it's what my spirit wants to live out. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now there's actually much debate in theological circles as to what Paul means in this statement. There are some that suggest that Paul is referring to his old self, his unregenerate self, his unsaved pre-Christ self before he met Jesus. And there are others that believe that no, Paul is referring to his life now as a follower of Jesus. And this is an important question to settle, to understand this. And when you look at the structure of Romans, it really does make us wonder. Because in chapters 1 through 3, Paul is talking about the fact that we have all sinned, and it culminates in 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then at the end of chapter 3, all the way through chapter 5, Paul is talking about where there is salvation found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 5, he turns a corner and and continues into chapter 6, and he talks about the process of sanctification that is becoming more like Jesus. And for those that are in Christ, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be uh, progressing in our faith, growing, maturing in our faith. And it culminates in a very puzzling uh, verse. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? In other words, the sinful self has died. How can we continue to live in sin? You want to go to another problematic verse as we examine our own lives and hold it up to the, as a mirror to look at and reflect upon our own life? 1 John 3, 9. It says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. These are very troublesome. Because whenever I stack those things up against my life, I say, you know what? I still struggle with sin. And my guess is that you do too. It's a part of the human condition. It is the war in which we are engaged in. So the question back, is the struggle that Paul is talking about in chapter 7, is it before he met Christ? Or is it his life in Christ? Again, this is an important question to answer. Because if Paul is alluding to his life before Christ, then we're left to assume that that is the struggle, but once you come to Christ, you no longer struggle. But if Paul is talking about, no, this is life as a Christian, then we can identify with it and say the struggle is real and the battle against sin in my life is a very real battle, even as a believer. Now, I believe, along with all the scholars that I read this week, that Paul is referring to his life in Christ. He's not talking about his pre-Christ life. He's talking about his life in Christ. That verses 14 through 25 of Romans 7 is an autobiographical illustration of this struggle. 
He's letting us in. He's pulling back the curtain. He's being very transparent and authentic with those that are his readers. And I'm going to tell you why. There's two reasons why I believe he's talking about his life as a believer. But here's the principle that I want us to learn. If the goat, right, the greatest of all time Christian, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, the author over two-thirds of the New Testament struggled with sin, isn't it comforting to know that you and I also struggle with sin? Right? And so learning that, seeing that transparency from Paul ought to serve as an encouragement to us today. So why do I believe Paul is describing his life as a Christ follower? Two main reasons that I believe this. Again, I want to be true to the text, right? And so whenever you are examining questions like this, you want to consult the text. By the way, never build a theology off of one verse or even a fraction of a verse. Let Scripture inform Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at it in the context. And when you look at it in the context, what leads me to believe that Paul is talking about his life as a believer in Jesus Christ is because he changes tenses in his writing. He changes verb tense. He uses past tense in verses 7 through 13, but then when he comes to verse 14 through 25, he uses present tense to describe his current state. Now, let me just read it for you. Let's look at verses 7 through 13. And I want you to, to find the past tense verb usages. Verse 7, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said you shall not covet But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the law, uh, when the commandment came, sin came uh, alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteousness and good, righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Do you see the past tense that Paul is utilizing there in all of those verses? Now look at verse 14, and let's look at the present tense usage. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am current of the flesh, sold under sin, present tense. And as we read earlier, you'll see the present tense all the way through the remainder of the chapter. If Paul was talking in verses 14 through 25 about the struggle pre-Christ, then why would he have changed tenses to present tense? I think Paul is extremely intentional here. I think he's trying to say, listen, this is my current condition. One scholar I read this week said this, why Paul speaks of his experience as a non-Christian in verses 7 through 13, he is now speaking of his experience as a Christian in verses 14 through 25. The second reason that I believe Paul is describing life as a Christ follower is because he uses a specific example. Paul is not being generic here. He's naming his struggle. 
His struggle is in the breaking of the 10th commandment. You remember the 10th commandment? You shall not covet. In other words, you shall not desire what other people have. And I believe Paul struggled with coveting. I'll share with you why I believe that in just a moment. But here's my question. Why would Paul use such an example if it wasn't pertinent to him? I I believe that he's letting us in his personal struggle. Not only is he just changing and being generic and verb tense, but he's telling us, listen, this is what I struggle with. This is where I, I trip up at times. This is where I really do battle in my heart and in my spirit against the flesh. And so I believe that Paul is talking about struggling with sin post-Christianity. So this should be good news for us. Why do you still struggle with sin? Because even though you are saved, you still deal with your old self. You still deal with the flesh and all of its desires and its pursuit. And so Paul identifies with us. So now let's talk about the conflict. We've looked at the condition that we're in. Let's look at the conflict that we experience. Verses 15 through 23. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Paul has to qualify that, by the way. He's talking about nothing dwells good dwells within his flesh. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in him, and that is good. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Do you see the conflict that Paul is dealing with? He is conflicted. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. I have the desire, not the ability. I want to do right, but evil is right there. This is the war within. This is the war of a believer. This is the war of a Christian. Paul is describing the conflict that is present because of the residual of an old life. I mentioned a moment ago that Paul is speaking about a specific struggle. Why do I think he's struggling with covetousness? Well, I think Paul prided himself. Before he met Christ, he prided himself in his accomplishments. We can read that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is what Paul says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But Paul, I think, still struggled with covetousness even when he gave his life to Jesus. What does his boasting have to do with coveting? Well, if anyone was more religious, he desired to be more than them. He was coveting what they had. 
He was trying to prove to himself that in comparison to other people, I am better. Why would Paul have done that? Well, in his day and time, there was status that came with being a Pharisee. There was a sense of respect that came with someone who lived according to the law. He desired the respect. He desired the status. He was a prideful man. And I think he struggled with that even as a believer in Jesus. You say, well, why do you know that he struggled with that as a believer in Jesus? Flip over. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. This is what makes me think that. Look at what he learned. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul had to learn contentment. In other words, he had to stop playing the comparison game with other people, and he had to learn for himself to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't that a verse that we take out of context all the time? Paul is talking about his ability to endure, to be content. And the way in which he does that is by relying not upon his own strength, but upon the the strength of Christ who gave him that strength. My point is clear, I believe. Romans chapter 7, Paul is being very real about the struggle he had with sin, that he had to fight it. He was in conflict. He was at war within himself. He had to depend upon a strength that was outside of his own. He fought the good fight. He kept the faith. He disciplined himself. And all that to say, Paul struggled. He wrestled with his life, with sin in his life. So we see the condition. We see the conflict. Now let's look at the conclusion. What conclusion did Paul come to? I believe he came to two different conclusions. The first conclusion is in verse 24 of Romans 7. He says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The first conclusion that Paul had to come to is he had to come to terms with he is a wretched man. He is a sinful man. The word translated as wretched carries the idea of being miserable. Paul was miserable. What was he miserable about? Him wanting to live this life for Christ, but stumbling at times in his life. It made him miserable. Here's the question. Am I miserable over my sin? Am I truly struggling? Because if I'm okay with it, then I'm not really struggling, right? And that's a a question that confronts us all. And no wonder Paul said, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, my di- desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Isn't it far better to be in glory where there's not even the capability of sin because there's not even the presence of sin? Someone that is truly at torment because of the sin in their life desires to be in a place where sin is no more. And this is what Paul is expressing in his life, and that's the conclusion he came to the second conclusion that he came to is that even though i am a wretched sinful man there is hope beloved there is always hope look at what he says in verse 25 he poses the question who will deliver me from this body of death verse 25 oh thanks be to god 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. He answers his own question. Who shall deliver me? Jesus has delivered me. And he will continue to deliver me. And he will ultimately deliver me. Now I want to mention a couple of application points here. We've acknowledged that we all struggle with sin. So how do we apply Paul's struggle to our own life and our own circumstances? I want to give you two points of application here. The first one is this, never give up the fight. Never stop fighting the old sinful self. Because here's the truth. I think far too many Christians have given up the fight against sin in their life and they've accepted it in their life. That's a very dangerous place, beloved. Do not stop calling out sin in your own life and repenting from it and fighting against it. God has called us to a life of holiness. And make no mistake, while Paul struggled with sin, he did not accept it. He fought it. In fact, I would argue that Paul's goal was to kill sin that is within him. Are you working to that point? And by the way, I think that's the point of the verse that I read in 1 John chapter 3. Don't just keep on sinning. Fight it. Fight against it. Consider the language Paul used in his own battle against sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable reward. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. The original language there, Paul says, I pummel my body. I war against it. I beat down the flesh. Why? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How many pastors and ministers in our day and time do we read about that have had a moral failure? They've been disqualified. And I bet you if you were to interview them and go back with them and say, what happened? I think they became too comfortable with their sin. We play with fire when we become to a state where we're comfortable in our sin. Never give up the fight with the sin that is in you. Second point of application, surrender to Jesus. I know this may sound weird for me to say fight, but then to say surrender. But notice the difference between the two. Fight sin, surrender to Jesus. Resist the devil and embrace Christ. This is the idea. Don't surrender to sin, but do surrender to Jesus. Paul answers his own question. Who will deliver me? Jesus. And here's the thing. If we're honest, when we hear messages like this, and we recognize that, yes, amen, Chris, uh, we need to be more vigilant in pursuit of holiness and our need to fight sin. And what we want as a result of that is a list of things to do. 
Yes, I struggle with my sin. What steps do I need to take to defeat sin in my life? Or what should I do to have victory in my life? Pastor Chris, what are the three keys to killing sin in my life? Well, beloved, Paul didn't answer his own question with a to-do list. He answered his own question with a person. Don't seek to do and do and do. Instead, rest in Jesus. He didn't say, thanks be to God for this laundry list of things that I can be sure to put in my life. No, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Here, listen, very key. Only surrender to Jesus will bring deliverance and victory in your life. If you try to do it in your own willpower, you will only wind up frustrated. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We need to fight sin, but you can't do it in your own strength. You gotta rely upon the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit pulls us forward to victory. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Allow God to fight your battles. And listen, if God be for us, then who could be against us? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.